In the latest episode of Vamos Verde, we are going to talk to one of the most prolific goal scorers in Major League Soccer history, Austin FC striker Giassi Zardes. We also talked to some folks who have been bringing the soundtrack to Austin's nightlife for over 20 years and are now providing the soundtrack at Q2 Stadium, their official DJ collective, Peligrosa. That's the latest episode of Vamos Verde. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Hey there, you're listening to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that formed and transformed them. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and today we are going to hear from Liz Fair, which I'm so excited about. This is the last episode of season three, and I can't think of a better interview to end with. I mean, after the past week, well, this conversation and the editing process, it's helped me, like in a real way. Before we get started, I want to let you know that it's not too late to tell your tale about a story that changed your life. We're making an episode based on listener stories. So if you have a song that like totally transformed the way you thought about something, then please record your story to a voice memo and send it to us at this song at KUTX.org. We would love to hear from you. And now, Liz Fair. Y'all, do I really need to explain who Liz Fair is? I mean, she was such a big part of my development, though, like, I mean, I guess I can recognize that not everyone was a 16-year-old white teenage girl in 1993 whose mind was utterly blown by Liz Fair's first record, Exile in Guyville, like mine was. So, okay, if you don't know, Liz Fair is a singer and a songwriter and a guitar player who appeared onto the 90s indie rock scene with a double record called Exile in Guyville. It was a song-by-song response to the Rolling Stones' Exile on Main Street, and it was life-changing for many people, myself included. The album is a collection of songs about love and sex and relationships, and it explored the complexity of being a young woman in a way that was honest and raw. Like, And many people, including me, They'd never heard anyone, like, put it that way. She sang in this low range that I'd never experienced in music before. And it sounded, like, good but unpolished. And for me and so many people, Exile in Guyville was a revelation. It was a sign that there was a completely different way of being a woman in the world. Like, maybe this way that no one had actually told us about. Liz Fair has had a long career in music. She's consistently put out albums since Exile in Guyville, though none of them were exactly like Exile in Guyville. She's explored psychedelic rock and radio-ready pop and, like, experimental pop. Her 2010 record, Fun Style, is wild. It sounds like the work of someone who is having a lot of, like, fun making a record. But this year marks the 25th anniversary of Exile in Guyville. And to mark that anniversary, Exile in Guyville was recently re-released, along with a bunch of four-track demos Liz Fair had made previous to the recording of the record, back when she called herself Girly Sound. The compilation is called Girly Sound to Guyville. And let me tell you, being able to hear the music that Liz Fair made before she, like, called herself Liz Fair is pretty revelatory. It's like you're getting to hear her become the artist she would reveal in Guyville, and it's rad. I got to talk to Liz Fair on the phone, and I was psyched. And y'all, 
It was so what I needed. And she told me about a song that changed her life, one that she heard not so long ago. Well, a song that has recently changed my life or focused it a little bit more is um, the song called I Want to Destroy You by the Soft Boys. I heard it very recently. In fact, um, I just heard it for the first time on our tour bus. Uh, my guitar tech, Chris Cote, was playing it. The, the, the band members and the crew kind of have a front lounge hangout after a show when we first hit the road, like when the bus starts moving, and I usually go hole up in the back of the bus. Um, but they have, <laughs> like... You know, they DJ and they drink a little bit and laugh and joke around. And I was up for one of those sort of boy hangs and they were playing I Want to Destroy You. And I remember that I remember that album and I hadn't heard it in so long. And it just it like went right through me, through my soul and kind of like it, it focused all the diffuse anxiety I have about the pol- the political um landscape at the moment (laughs) and it felt like it felt like punk was alive again for me i feel it coming on again just like it did before feed your pride with boredom and they lead you on to war the way you treat each other really makes me feel all felt some sort of in the music industry this sense of like speaking up and being heard and being counted and all of a sudden it's just gone back down almost in a regressive way to when I was young and pissed off and maybe like 19 or 20 and it just it just felt so liberating to go to take off my adult hat and stop trying to parse the stories and you know sort of imagine the path forward and just go back to hating it, you know? It's abidingly stressful. It just keeps being stressful, but I think there is sort of a macabre humor in it after a certain point of sort of enduring something unpleasant and frightening for a long time. You do get the gallows humor and there there is just this joy of returning to just non-compliance. Simple, holistic non-compliance. That's what I feel in this boy song. When I hear I want to destroy you, it's just I mean, there's no particular specific object of this hatred. It's just kind of a blanket statement. <laughs> I just want to destroy you. It's that I do love that feeling of being young, and you're you're too you're too young to know that it's very hard to build things. So all you want to do is tear stuff down. I'm 
So you said that it made you feel like like you were 19 or 20 again. And that's kind of when you started writing or started recording those girly sounds recordings, right? Around that time? That's true. That's exactly right. I would sort of come home from a party or if I didn't have any plans that night, I would goof around on my four track. Um, yeah, that's exactly when I was just starting to formalize my interest in music. Up until then, it had felt sort of like something I had done because I was required to learn piano. And then I took guitar. I think my parents just thought I should have a well-rounded education. And, you know, it was it wasn't until college, really, that I began to take it, take my song craft more seriously because I went to Oberlin College, which has an exceptional music conservatory affiliated with the it's a liberal arts program as well as a music conservatory and but you were doing visual art that was your focus for a long time and then you just started doing music as like an extension of visual art is that is that right i think it was just everywhere you know everyone i knew who was in the liberal arts program was also in a band or played music and i was being exposed to music with the you know the that great sort of anachronistic item the mixtape from the boyfriend you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) where you'd have like one great song from each obscure band and that's how i i learned a lot about indie rock actually that way did you feel like music enabled you to say things or or get things across that like other mediums like visual art didn't? Absolutely. Music for me is very immediate and emotional and physical. And some of my visual art had a physical component when I was creating it. I did a lot of gestural strokes sort of on a large scale with charcoal, which is very messy and I Really, I'm sorry to the janitors that had to clean that up. But music was much more about almost like a second language, a second self that I had inside of me that wanted to come out, I guess. But it was still very playful and fictional, I would say. never heard the girly sounds records. I mean, I'm a I'm 41. I'm a child of the 90s and so Exile in Guyville was, you know, it was a thing for me. Um but listening to those those tapes of those recordings that from what I understand you really didn't think anyone else would ever hear. Um it just sounded like, well first I was struck by how much made it onto your later records, but also about how much it sounded like a lot of fun and it sounded very sounds very freeing like some of them it just sounds like you're just going and expressing and 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 getting something out like you said this other part of you 
Yeah, it was like a it was like a um a musical diary. It was just experimental and goofy and completely unselfconscious. Some of it shows a lot of promise, some of it shows care and consideration for what I was doing, but a lot of it is just off the cuff and experimenting with harmonies. I think that's the most interesting to me at this point. I mean, I've lived with these recordings for a long time, but right now at the moment I'm interested in how sort of, I wouldn't say advanced, but how far along I was with my idea of harmony and playing one vocal against another. I'm thinking of actually the song Slave right now, which is sort of like a rondelay of different um, choral parts going on. Cause I'm chasing you on a field Makes you wanna cry Makes you wanna tear the stars from the sky Sometimes halfway there But you're halfway down Just can't get your ass out of town Sometimes you can't back up Cause you're against the wall it's the same goddamn thing I told you Sometimes a dream And I feel like it wasn't just the harmony. I was I was listening to Exiling Guyville and listening to these early recordings and it I was struck, like I didn't know enough about music at the time to understand it, but the chords you're playing on the guitar, like they're super weird. <laughs> like super <laughs> they're super interesting. <laughs> yeah, but but there's also like a there's that guitar is its own voice in that music, you know what I mean? And ha- it provides its own harmony. A thousand percent. Yeah. A thousand percent. L- relearning them for the tour this June was really a very daunting but ultimately rewarding experience just to try to go back in. I mean, I was pitching those as well once they were recorded on the machine before I committed them to tape. I would change the pitch. So it was very hard to... um what do you call it when you go backwards to try to figure out what was some you know something that you were doing like reverse and engineer it reverse engineering thank you that's the exact term i was looking for um i remember sitting on my bed crying thinking i only have a month there's no way i'm going to figure out all of these songs again and when i finally did a lot of what I was doing was very naive and was really just where can my pinky finger reach next? You know, like it was, I wasn't that great of a guitar player at that point. I wasn't really as sophisticated as, you know, people might give me credit for. I just was looking at my hand, my five, you know, my four digits really that were in play and just trying to make different shapes with them. I would look at the the neck and I would think, well, I've been down here, you know, at the, at the far end of the neck maybe I should go up there closer to the body you know like I would that's that's the kind of thought I would have
there's been so many years intervening that I feel like it's almost looking at the work of a different person and a younger person. So I feel a kind of a compassion for the person who's writing this and is now exposed to the world as if, you know, like I think about that I'm almost betraying her because she never meant for these recordings to be heard. And now I'm selling them. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so it's an interesting, but, but I think they're really worthwhile. I think like what I was doing, I do think the chord structures are interesting and unique. And I am, I am interested to hear the kind of melodic um, segues I will take. It's fascinating. I can hear the influence of pavement. I can hear the influence of someone gave me a Coltrane record. I can hear the influence of like Blondie and the Go-Go's. I can hear a lot of influences, but, but to a large extent, I really do hear my voice emerging and that's sort of thrilling to see. It was certainly unconscious at the time. For me, when you're describing the feeling that you feel when you listen to that, to I Want to Destroy You, it's the feeling that I got as a teenager listening to Exile in Guyville, which was like I had never heard a woman say what you said in a song in a way that like, it, like I just remember driving around in my Chevy Nova with my Exile in Guyville tape and being <laughs> like, this is what power feels like. I think power might be just like saying what you feel, <laughs> like being honest. I woke up alone. I didn't know where I was at first, just that I woke up in your arms. And almost immediately I felt sorry because I didn't think this would said in this entire interview like power might be as simple as saying what you feel I can feel it in my bones I'm gonna spend another year alone it's fucking run Liz Fair has been touring, promoting girly sound to Guyville, and playing these songs that she wrote so long ago for people now. And I wondered, what is it like to play these songs in this current moment? 
Well, one of the things that has been really meaningful to a lot of people is the sense that's going on right now of the female voice um, fighting for prominence and female rights needing to have their day in the sun again. And, you know, Guyville suddenly becomes extremely pertinent because of what we're going through. And to hear that some people found strength in it all the way along the line that when they would face their daily indignities, they could turn to my music and bolster their self-esteem again and bolster their courage. And that's really what I made the music for was to kind of, I mean, there's a lot of bravado in that early work, in that girly sound material. And I hear it in the Guyville as well. I wasn't living all of those things exactly as written, there was a certain sense of puffing myself up and sort of standing up to the boys and being casual about things that actually were painful or made me feel vulnerable. And I'm proud of how much vulnerability I was able to allow to be seen. And I think that can be inspiring to people in the past as well as currently. And I think that there is sort of a rush right now to look to the touchstones that we've always known would see us through and to have my music be part of that for people is profound. I mean, that's profound. That's like getting your eulogy while you're still alive. It's pretty incredible. And I soak it up and I appreciate it fully. Now, normally I would stop here, but this is my podcast, and it's the last one of the season. And, you know, I'm a mom and a musician, and Liz Fair is a mom and a musician, and and I had to ask her about her own experience of motherhood and playing music. As a mom, I've read in a couple interviews that that you've talked about this idea of, like, being a mom kind of made you want to step away from the edge a little bit, and now that you have, that your child has, like flown the nest um which I can't even imagine I have a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old and I can't even like I can't the thought just like makes me want to cry you know it's brutally painful but you you find that there is a natural process for it like this has been done by thousands of mothers and you will survive it but it sounds like that there was like a it shifted your creative life and maybe now your creative life is shifting back. And I wondered if that's well, the okay, case. Here, it's, it's super simple. As soon as your child starts rebelling in their teenage years, all that cute, fluffy, like, oh, I just can't imagine them leaving the nest. She'll be like, leave the nest. <laughs> Go ahead. You know, like, be my guest. <laughs> That kind of gets you back in touch, like, rather abruptly with your own rebellious sense. You know, you start storming around the house saying things like, what, you know, I, I how am I the authority? I never liked authority. <laughs> Why am I now the authority? Oh, great. You know, like, I'm the parent. And there, it's, it is kind of quickly liberating. You know, <laughs> you, know you realize the human animal, whatever age we are, is is 
we have a lot in common at all of our ages and nobody has it dialed in and your parents suddenly look so much more relatable and you have so much more compassion for them. You think like, yeah, who knows? I don't know. I did the best I could. Good luck. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like you throw up your hands. So there is, there is that return to freedom and to selfhood minus this role. But You know, as we all know, it shifts, and then suddenly they need you and your parent again. And this is Never Said, from Liz Fair's Exile in Guyville, a song and a record that, you know, changed my life change lots of people's lives and y'all i got mom advice from liz fair liz fair continues to inform my ideas about womanhood which is cool the whole interview was cool and you know what else was cool seeing liz fair live she came to town last week and it was 100 percent what me and all my friends needed and lucky for you she's on tour now so you can get what you need You can find a link to her tour dates on the show notes page for this episode at KUTX.org. KUTX is the radio station in Austin, Texas, where we make this podcast. There you can also find a link to Girly Sound to Guyville, along with the Spotify playlist where you can hear all the songs we referenced all the way through. And that's it. You've come to the end of another episode of this song. This song is a production of KUTX 98.9 in Austin, Texas. This song is produced by Art Levy and me, Elizabeth McQueen. Thanks to Deidre Gott and Peter Babb and Todd Callahan for all they do for this podcast. And yes, it is true. Our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own Hard Proof. Right on. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.